Hello and welcome to Building Bridges, a podcast from the Harry Bridges Center for Labor Studies at the University of Washington, Seattle, where we explore the people and stories of the labor movement. I'm Anita. And I'm Maya. Today we're talking with James Oliveros, a labor educator at the Washington Labor Education Research Center at South Seattle College. Thank you for joining us, James. So before we get into our questions, we'd like to start off with a little icebreaker question, um, which is, what was your first job? I actually, my first job was as a canvasser for uh, Washington Can, which is an organization in, based in Seattle. Um, they do a lot of uh, fundraising to support lobbying efforts. They also do a lot of lobbying, um, but I was on the on the ground team, um, knocking on doors throughout Washington State and, uh, and, and raising money to push for lobbying efforts, um, largely at that time about healthcare, um, fighting for universal healthcare in Washington. And then um, I think there was, there were some other campaigns like get out the vote and, and some campaigns supporting, uh, I remember New Seasons, which is a grocery store uh, that I believe was unionizing at the time we were, we were helping to support. But yeah, that was my first job. I um, started working relatively late um, compared to most people, I think kind of like was put in school and supported my family for a very long time um it's very much like a, a you know um, a filipino mindset and the product of you know being um coming from like a professional class family background right and so um entering the workforce it always felt like i i had some i don't know i guess like learning to do um and uh, definitely some humility um when it came to just like interacting with working class folks that had been working for much longer than i ever had to yeah, thank you for sharing. I just wanted to say that there was a new seasons close to where I lived in high school and right. I love that place, but it turned into a metropolitan market. So Yeah. The, I remember Met Mart, Met Market had like similar issues, and it was probably because the change in ownership like didn't really fix those issues. But I remember we were boycotting Met Market for a while too. Could you tell us more about your role with the Washington Labor Education and Research Center? Uh, yeah, so I'm a labor educator with uh, the Washington Labor Education and Research Center. Um, you can also call it the Washington Labor Center for short, because it's a little bit of a mouthful. And so that means that I help build and adapt curriculum to teach working people. So for folks that don't know about the Washington Labor Center, um, we are a resource for working people in the state of Washington. Um, our reach is sometimes further than that. We do um, we have done um, collaborative work with folks kind of like in in like the Portland area and, um, you know, up north uh, in Vancouver, you know, so um, we are kind of like part of that Pacific Northwest um, labor community, but mostly we serve workers in Washington state. So the education part is providing trainings on pretty much anything that workers need, uh, trainings to give people the skills that they need to advocate for themselves in the workplace and build power in their unions. So um, those trainings are things like uh, know your rights trainings, stewardship trainings, how to uh, represent your coworkers, how to build power in your unions through organizing. Um, so we do a lot of internal organizing training. We do also trainings on labor history and on campaigns. And um, we can offer classes on like bargaining. Really what we tell people is if your union or organization has 
a training need or something that y'all have identified um, would be useful to prepare your coworkers or educate folks, um, then we're happy to build it. Um, and if we don't already have existing curriculum on it, um, we're happy to build it because that's what we're here for. Um, and every time we teach a class, of course, we want to make it tailored to the needs of that union or organization. So we kind of have a base curriculum um, and then we kind of adapt it to make sure that it's meeting the exact needs with our, the people that are contracting us out, right? So that that is a collaborative effort. But so there's the contract training um, and then we also do public education. Um, so that's basically means that we hold a class and um, people from whatever unions are welcome to come. And that's that's one of my favorite kinds of um, education because it's it's kind of a rare opportunity for folks from a bunch of backgrounds to get together and learn from each other, even if they're in different locals or if they're in different industries. Um, I think it's a it's a really important kind of space that I have the privilege of of facilitating. And then beyond that, you know, I do all kinds of other stuff. Like I help um, logistics and support for um, events that happen uh, in the area. Some of the events that go on with the Washington State Labor Council, so for example, one is through the Washington State Labor Council's Immigration or Immigrant Worker Committee. They put on a summit ideally every year. It just kind of started. And I have been uh, part of the process of supporting and helping to organize that. And that's kind of just one example of what the work can look like in the broader sense, you know. But that's kind of an overview. I think another piece that um, maybe I'd like to add to is just the process of organizing trainings through like gauging interest and uh, interacting with a bunch of different unions, um, with different bodies of labor, like the Central Labor Councils, uh, to figure out what kind of needs and interests there are out um, in different areas and see if we can help support and, and provide trainings for folks uh, if they think that it would uh, engage people more or fill a need that they recognize in their area. That's that's the gist of it. Awesome. Yeah. So like a lot of community-based education and training. Um, you mentioned you have a background in community organizing with Washington Can. And also I know you were involved with Anak Bayan Seattle. Mm -hmm. You know, I looked at your biography online <laughs> on the website. <laughs> um, so how did this passion for community organizing and education start? You know, it was sort of on accident. Um, I well, so with Anak Bayan, I, I grew up at least culturally racially very isolated. Um, I grew up in Florida, central Florida, in a suburb um, that was, you know, not, it, it was mostly white folks, East Asian folks, uh, Latinx folks and black folks. But I remember, I think from, from kindergarten through like uh, 12th grade, I probably had maybe like four or five Filipino classmates. I'm Filipino. So I always had this sense that I wanted to like understand my culture more and connect with it more. Um, once I had kind of progressed past the, I think, understandable era of uh, internalized racism that makes you just really not want to care when you're really young. At least that was my experience. So moving out to Washington State, one of the uh, attractive things about living here was that I knew that there was a huge Filipino population. I get to meet other Filipinos and and be part of a community in some sense. And so I heard about Anak Bayan probably like online when I was still living in Florida. 
just seeing people post about it and wanting to be um, more informed about the politics of what, what was going on in the Philippines in, in like current day and also the history. Um, so I was really curious about it. Um, and when I moved out here, uh, it was pretty easy to find Anik Bayan as an organization. I think that, I don't know if this is true, but I get the sense that most Filipinos in Seattle in some way come across it or interact with it in some way or know someone who has just because the presence of the Seattle chapter is pretty, is, has always been pretty active from what I understand and just prominent. So it was pretty easy to find. Um, I came in wanting to learn more about my culture and heritage and my history, and also wanting to figure out what it meant to be involved uh, with politics, uh, to be engaged with politics in the Philippines when I was, you know, an entire world away, right, in the diaspora. So it was a really powerful experience getting to meet other folks and just learn um, so much about myself and so much about my history through that. I always thought the best way I can learn is through teaching, you know, like that's how you know you really know something if you um, are able to teach it, I think. And so um, when I was given the option of what role I wanted to take up in that organization, I was uh, most excited about the opportunity to get to try my hand at teaching some of this material and teach about like our history, learn it and then teach it, right? Um, so that's kind of how I cut my teeth. I think that it became a passion through that, through seeing what it gave to me um, as far as like knowledge of self. And then also as far as just being part of such a rich community that has such a rich history. So like Anik Bayan is linked to the revolutionary movement of the 60s, right? It is the current part of the current revolutionary movement of the Philippines, right? So that it's, it's a long history and a history that has so many roots in Seattle in particular, Seattle having such a rich history of Filipino workers organizing, Filipino community members organizing, you know, um, stories about Carlos Bulosan and Jean Viernes and Silvia Domingo. You know, these are um, very much prominent stories in the imaginations of, of workers in Washington and community organizers in Washington and Seattle. And so it, it was, I was very proud to be part of that legacy, right? Um, and I think through identifying with that legacy and how it um, continues to live and carry on uh, the, the spirit of, of radical action and organizing and community building um, and resistance, I was, I found um, a lot to be passionate about. Yeah, I feel like I've heard a lot about, you know, the history of Filipino organizing in Seattle. A previous guest we had, Andrew Hedden, I don't know if you yeah. know him, he, he's an uh, associate director, and he talked about um, Carlos Bulasong because he wrote about him as a figure in the activist community in Seattle for his dissertation um, and his 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 novel, America's in the Heart. And yeah, one of our research assistants, who's a current student, is also really involved in Anak Bayan UW. So Filipinos are one of those communities in Seattle that have a very rich history in and activism. Yeah, yeah. And and not just in Seattle, it's it's in our blood. It, it runs deep. And I'm very proud of it. And if there's something that Filipinos are, they are they are a proud people. <laughs> so having come from a background in community organizing and community education, 
How did you find yourself at the Washington Labor Center? I think I was, I was just lucky, you know, as a lot of employment kind of unfortunately happens is, is like, there's a good amount of luck uh, involved. Right. And so I was laid off from my job uh, at a museum when I was working during, when the pandemic started, was unemployed for a while, um, started working at this factory and just, I think it was just through a friend. Yeah. It was, it was through a friend who actually worked at the Washington Labor Center. So we were colleagues for a while. Um, I knew that I wanted to leave that factory job. And she knew that I that I had a background in community organizing and that my politics were the way my politics were and um, that she had thought of me as someone who might be interested in applying for that job because she was a labor educator, um, Emily, Um, who has since uh, moved away from Washington State. Um, but she was a labor educator there for a few years, I believe. And uh, they had a second role to fill as a like a second labor educator to fill. That's like full staff at the labor center is having two labor educators the way that it's kind of described right now. And so there was an opening. She told me about it and um, and I gave it a shot and uh, and they liked me. So. But I will say that through learning about the history of Filipino organizing in Seattle and in the Philippines um, and through just like learning about history and politics in general, um, it just became very apparent to me that the labor movement has always been at the forefront of a lot of uh, the concrete changes that we see at the forefront of organizing people um, in a way that gives them uh, a consciousness of their class and um, helps people understand the power that they have as working people in a society and in many societies that have made working people um, convinced that they have no power and no say, right? And so um, when I was organizing with Anakbayan, I was always curious about labor as kind of this example of, um, I don't know, a, a, as a side of struggle, essentially. And that I, I was always um, curious what it would look like to be part of the labor movement, especially um, in the past several years, hearing uh, more and more about how the labor movement was changing, how it was becoming revitalized, and largely um, it was changing because of young people. I was always curious about what it would mean to be part of that. And so when I was presented the opportunity to, to check that out, I was, I was really excited about it. So I gave it a shot. And we'll later get into like what one of your classes looks like. But first, I wanted to know what are some of your favorite parts about the job? So I sort of mentioned it a little bit ago, but some of my favorite trainings, um, it can happen in like a public education, what we call it, like a public training where people from all different unions kind of come together. Um, but it can also look like, you know, we've done trainings with the central labor councils. So those are. Uh, the labor councils that are um, regional to different areas in Washington. So um, we did one with Spokane that was similar in, in the way that people that came to this training were not all from one union. They were coming from a bunch of different kinds of unions, right? Um, and there was a lot of variety in the room. And so I love teaching classes that have a really varied demographic because I think that one of the issues that we struggle with in the labor movement is that um, it can become, uh, or different industries, different locals 
um, can be so absorbed in the work, um, which is important, um, that it becomes sort of isolated. So, you know, trades people might be employing all kinds of um, strategies and ways of thinking about how they run their campaigns or how they do their work um, as, as a union. And folks in like the nurses union, for example, may never hear about it, right? And so I think that these spaces are really important for people to kind of learn from each other how maybe it's done in other industries, lessons they can learn, and also for people to understand that this is bigger than just your union. You know, being part of the labor movement, you are part of this um, broader labor struggle, right? And, and I think a lot of people can lose sight of that or not really understand it. And when you get them in a room with someone from a completely different workforce who's experiencing the same stuff, um, it can be really concrete for people to realize that we're all fighting against things like inequality, uh, mistreatment at work, fighting for a more dignified workplace, and that all of our struggles are connected, right? So that's a really beautiful thing to me. I think uh, it's such an honor to get to facilitate uh, a space for people to learn from each other. I would say that I kind of create a container with general lessons and kind of the pedagogy that I come with. But I really think that I learned so much from the workers who attend my classes because they know their workplaces, um, obviously, much better than I ever will for having lived and worked in those workplaces. Um, and I think that they learn more from each other in sharing that space often than they learn from me. And I think that that's exactly the way it should be. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of existing within a local labor movement, and of course it's not just local, the Seattle labor movement I'm very proud of is like the fact that it's international and many folks do recognize that labor struggles are international struggles and should not be just limited to local issues. And so one of my favorite things about it is that is getting into a room full of people who come from many different workplaces and just learning from each other. And, you know, it could be like, I don't know, just gathering for lunch or, you know, going to a public education or a, um, a teach-in, whatever it is. I really do enjoy hearing from everyone, and I think it's very powerful stuff. Um, yeah, I just love it. You know, that's that's the, like, an extra layer that is when folks come in with an international perspective of, of organized labor. Um, I think it happens not enough, you know, in the American labor movement where people have like a really solid, solid understanding of what labor looks like in the rest of the world. And this is like one piece of what I mean when I say that labor can be so isolated that folks can just put their heads down and do what they need to do in their union to look out for their coworkers and forget that there's a broader movement in their city and their state, but also across the globe. And in so many other countries, it looks a lot different and it can be also a lot more dangerous to be a part of a union. Um, and so I think that that is such an important perspective. Um, and I'm glad that you also feel inspired by being in those spaces where people are kind of coming in with those stories, because I know I do. So you mentioned that some of your classes involve um, potentially learning about like stewardship or bargaining and that. Oftentimes, um, the Washington Labor Center is contracted by different unions or labor organizations. Um, could you walk us through what one of these classes might look like, depending on what subject matter it, it tackles? Yeah, totally. So um, I 
taught recently a class in collaboration with Rachel over at the the Bridges Center um, who's teaching. I don't want to get it wrong, but it's it's kind of it's a very research oriented class, the Labor 480 class. Um, right. Is there something that I maybe y'all could say about this class that uh, describes it better than my sort of incomplete knowledge about what it is? Well, me and I were both, we both took that class last year and we right. interviewed Rachel about it for a different podcast episode, but it's basically a class that teaches students applied labor research methods and how to do like community-based participatory research and it gives them assignments um, like researching your employer and then partnering with a union or another um, worker organization to do a collaborative research par- uh, research project. Yeah. That's exactly, yeah. So, I mean, so it's a it's an extremely ambitious class and it's definitely a class that I wish was available to me when I was a college student. I was very honored that um, Rachel wanted me to come in and kind of do a piece that she identified would be useful, which is um, Know Your Rights. So our rights trainings, our Know Your Rights trainings um, are a, a pretty key part of what we teach. Um, it's one of the more... I don't know, like accessible ways of thinking about labor, especially for folks that are that don't know too much about organized labor. Um, we do know your rights trainings for, for example, like for students uh, at a program at Georgetown campus of South Seattle College called Youth Build, which is a pre-apprenticeship program. This is um, a lot of folks that are preparing to get into an apprenticeship in the trades. Um, and it's a lot of folks that... Um, are coming out of like the carceral system. But suffice to say that a lot of these students are kind of coming in uh, with a desire to get a job. And that's the primary thing. And we come in and we we essentially kind of try to point out like, yes, get that job. And also here is why you might want to be at a union job and be active in your union. And this is what it means to be part of a union. Um, And so a lot of these students are not super familiar with unions coming out the gate um, and teaching about your rights is a really accessible way to talk about how rights exist on like the federal state level um, at at the um, on, on the city level, you know, all these levels. But some of the most strong protections that we have come from our unions. Right. And this is what it looks like. And so I think it's a way of um, making unions make more sense for folks, which is um, one of the reasons we teach it. And also just because it's useful, because a lot of people um, need or want kind of just a, a, a basic grounding and what their basic rights are. But with everything that we teach at the Labor Center, it's not just a rights training, it's a rights training with an emphasis on um, an understanding of power, um, how power works in our workplaces, how unions exist to uh, shift that balance of power in our workplaces. And it also, we build in an understanding of um, how organizing works a little bit. You know, we're always trying to, if, if someone wants a class taught on a subject, Um, we will always tie it to a concept of what it means to be asserting your power as a worker and what it means to, uh, what it can look like to to build this power through building relationships with other people and organizing people around these issues. So when we teach about know your rights, 
Um, it's also a conversation about how educating your coworkers about their rights is an act of organizing. And in everything that we do in the union, even if it's just having a conversation with your coworker about like, hey, did you know that they can't do that to you in the workplace? That's an act of organizing and it can be uh, built upon and every act that we do like that plays a part in building the power of the union and building the power of our labor movement more broadly. And so we should recognize everything that we do in the union as playing a role in that, right? So it's not just a rights training, it's a training that emphasizes the importance of recognizing that um, we're doing this all to also build power uh, and not just defend our existing rights, but build power to fight for more protections and fight for um, stronger enforcement of those protections. Right? Could you tell us more about the class you teach on internal organizing? Yeah, so we do a class on internal organizing um, and it kind of looks like this. It starts with an understanding of leadership, right? And like these questions of um, what is a leader? Are you a leader by you know, taking it upon yourself to attend one of these classes? or taking it upon yourself to educate yourself on your rights and see if you can kind of spread this information. I would say, yes, those are um, very much uh, acts of leadership. And I, I, we just try to push people to understand um, that they might see themselves as leaders and kind of taking up these responsibilities. So we talk about that a little bit, um, talk about why it's important to have leaders in our workplaces to take on that responsibility. Then we drill down on some uh, topics like listening skills. It sounds kind of basic, but like really drilling down and showing how it looks and not assuming that everyone is able to do this like super intuitively. And even if you do feel like you're able to do this super intuitively, it's helpful to see kind of best practices of how we can best listen to our coworkers and help them feel um, supported and interested in being engaged in, in conversations about workers' rights, for example, and, um, and helping them understand that they have someone that they can go to, um, someone they can ask questions or even talk things over if they have any of these uh, concerns, right? We do a lot of best practices. Um, I, I think one of the basic ones is uh, the 70-30 rule, for example. Maybe that's obvious to some people, but to a lot of people, maybe it's not so obvious, or maybe they just need to be reminded. And what it means basically is that when you're having an organizing conversation or an organ or a conversation where um, you're just trying to engage like your coworkers, um, maybe around union stuff, maybe it's more casual than that, right? That 70% of the time you should be listening and 30% of the time you should be talking. And really, if we're trying to get people engaged, it's important that we know where they're at first and we can't just come in guns blazing with like, here's what you got to do. Can, can you commit to this, this um, action that the union's doing? Because we don't know where they're at and we can't expect anything of them if we don't know um, how down or not down they might be, right? So that's just one example of uh, best practices, stuff like that, talking about keeping an open mind, asking open-ended questions, stuff like that. So sometimes we do an activity with that as well to kind of illustrate it. And I, I wanna name that everything we do in our classes has an element, a strong element of participation in it, right? These classes are highly participatory. We want people to come in um, and share 
their stories, um, share examples of what has worked for them, what hasn't worked for them in the past. And we hope that in sharing these things that other people in the class will get to learn, not just like these abstract concepts of how to talk to your coworkers, but also learn what it has looked like for other people and what that can look like in action. So we're always asking a lot of questions throughout these classes to see um, if people can talk about their experiences and see if they can kind of um, uh, relate to the subjects that we're talking about in class. And also it just makes it more fun to be not the only person talking in the classroom, um, especially when I know that I show up to these classes and these people know way more about their experiences in their unions than I ever will. Um, there is so much wisdom in the room and I want people to recognize that and um, and speak on that wisdom. And I think that that's also plays a part in helping people recognize leadership in themselves and helping people recognize that, that they can be empowered by just seeing themselves as someone with a lot of knowledge already. Later in the class, we talk about organizing conversations. So this is just kind of like a basic structure of how you would talk to someone in your union, kind of, there's like five steps, I think, six steps. No, sorry, seven steps. I'm wrong. There are seven steps, the way that we use this framework. And it's it starts with like kind of discovering the issues, bringing questions and kind of gauging where folks are at, um, what issues are important to your coworker, what issues are important to a lot of your coworkers, um, and then agitating around these issues. So that's a lot of asking questions like, how does that affect you at work? Uh, how does that affect you at home? What would your life look like if that wasn't a thing, because we all know that the things that affect us at work uh, don't just stay with us at work. They carry into our into our family lives, into our social lives. Maybe we can't hang out with our friends because something's going on at work that or we got like scheduled or like there's mandatory overtime that we can't fight. Right. And maybe, you know, I've I've heard stories of people like getting into divorces because of things like mandatory overtime. Right. Um, so getting people to like really understand emotionally that these issues are important, right? Especially when so many workers kind of see is issues that happen at the workplace as, oh, that's the way it's always done. And you know, that there's nothing we can do about that, right? So the third step is what we call laying the blame. It's naming like who's responsible, it's management, right? And why, why is this an issue? Who has the power to change this? It's management, it's your bosses, maybe it's your immediate manager, maybe it's corporate. Right. Um, but let's talk about it and imagine that it is possible to actually do something about it if we can push them. Right. What would we have to do to push the person that is in a position to fix this issue? Right. After that, there's kind of like this collaborative conversation on making a plan to win. Right. How how might we approach this? Is this an issue that so many people on the workplace at the workplace are experiencing? If so, can we get a bunch of people rallied around this issue? Can we build a campaign? Can we start taking actions like maybe flyering, maybe hosting a rally? Maybe it's a walk on the boss. If people are ready, everyone shows up, walks to the boss's office and confronts them. Maybe it's holding a meeting where you fill the meeting with a bunch of coworkers that are all wearing the same shirt. You know, like what do we have to do to make this a problem for them? Um, and then it's, you have an idea for what action you can take, um, then you're approaching getting a commitment from someone, right? Um, this is what makes it an organizing conversation. You are organizing people to become more engaged in, uh, in the union, more engaged in the process of being active in workplace democracy, 
uh, more active in asserting their power as workers. So getting people to see that they're part of this and there's something that they can do. And even if, if it's a small ask, like, hey, I know this is really important for you. It's important for me to, can I get you to fill out this survey so that we can show management that we all care about this thing? That's kind of like the lower level all the way up to, hey, can we count on you to vote yes on the strike? That's the ultimate kind of thing, right? Is withholding your labor, right? And and a lot of people, it's, it's a huge risk for so many people, right? So that's kind of the range of things, right? It can be a really small ask or something that takes a lot of commitment. And then once you get commitment from someone, um, it looks like kind of um, inoculating them and getting them to recommit. So inoculating basically means um, that we are helping our coworkers understand um, and anticipate that they're going to hear a lot of pushback from management, from um, possibly other coworkers. And if we beat um, all that negativity um, out the gate and we say, hey, you're going to hear this stuff and they're wrong and this is why, we have a, a more secure kind of relationship with our coworker of trust, right? And so it's an important step and getting them to recommit, like even if you get pushback from management, can we still count on you to do whatever? And then you kind of follow the, you follow that with the last step, which is building a follow-up plan. Um, so let's check in um, afterwards. Um, there's this quote that 90% of organizing is follow-up, right? And so what does it look like um, after this step? Is there like another action? Is there a, a, like an event that you can come to or you know, can, can I just check in to see how it feels after you participated in this thing, right? Um, you want to continue that relationship beyond just asking someone to do something, right? Um, because it ideally is a real relationship, you know, like a, um, a real human relationship that you have with your coworkers, because this work that we're all doing together is based in a really human desire to just have a dignified workplace where we feel empowered to use our voices, so we should recognize those relationships as not just utilitarian or not just with a goal in mind, but relationships where that are real, you know, and um, and, and based in uh, like common interest. Thank you for sharing about your classes. That's really interesting. Honestly, so I, I did an internship with a union I was a part of, and I honestly wish I had had the chance to take um, a class like that because I didn't really know at the time how you're supposed to organize. I don't have that like instinctual talent for talking to people. So the class, it seems like it really breaks it down of like, here's how you talk to people. Here's how you engage with them. And here's what you need to like succeed. And I kind of wish I had that training, honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's really validating because I think that um, it's important for me to feel like we're value added um, and that there is kind of, that th there is indeed this need. Like I know it intellectually, but sometimes I, I'm staring at this work for so long um, that I need to hear that um, people people wish they had this when they started out organizing, you know, um, and I think that 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 is true, that um, there are not enough um, educational opportunities in our labor community. So I'm, I'm happy to play a role in, in providing that for folks. I feel like no one really breaks down for you initially, like sits you down and says, here's what it's like to be an organizer. Here's some tools you might need some information you might need to know. And um, I felt like I really lacked that kind of initial knowledge. And so I think now I took many steps back and 
reflected and I was like, I really need to learn um, as much as I can, whether that's through like education and classes, like trainings like yours, or through like, um, you know, organizing. I think it's really essential just learning those um, smaller factors of organizing and breaking it down and things like that. Yeah, some unions do internal education, um, but a, a lot of the times people kind of get put in the field and they learn by doing um, and just make a lot of mistakes along the way, which is fine. But why not give people kind of some basic skills, right? Yeah, definitely. So for those that are interested in um, attending one of these classes, how can they access this education? Yeah, so um, seasonally, we offer um, public trainings. Um, right now, uh, the one that we're putting on is particularly, um, it's geared towards young workers. So the demographic is 35 years old and younger. Um, but that typically isn't like the demographic is typically not that restricted. And usually the classes are open to anyone. Um, it really kind of depends on how our schedule looks like, but we try to offer um, a public series of trainings every season so that people can come. When we have a second labor educator, um, right now it's just me, we are more able to do uh, just more trainings, right? And so you can access the public training that way, but also um, I think the more important part is if you are in a union or if you just have a group of friends that are um, in labor or curious about labor and you have an idea about what kind of training would be helpful. Maybe it's just as simple as like, hey, I just noticed that like none of my coworkers feel confident in talking to their coworkers about getting engaged in the union. And I think that we could really benefit if people had those skills then if you name that to me, I'd be like, yeah, well, I think that a class on internal organizing would be like the perfect thing, right? And so we just really encourage folks in organized labor to think of what needs their locals might have and kind of come to us and just say, hey, we we want to build a training around this and we can, we can get it on the calendar and build something for you. Probably the way to access that is you can email me. I'll put James's email in the show notes so that interested people can access them. So as we wrap up this conversation, we want to ask you, what are some things that you're looking forward to in the future? Yeah, so I'm looking forward kind of in the immediate future to um, seeing the rest of this Young Workers Unite training kind of play out. Um, we just did the first class on Tuesday, um, saw Maya there. So thanks again, Maya, for coming. But uh, again, this is a training uh, geared towards young workers, and it is, we're calling it a union leadership virtual school. It's a statewide training, um, getting folks to build skills around, um, around their leadership as, as young workers in the labor movement. And so I'm excited for this next class that's happening next Tuesday. Um, it's going to be what we call demystifying the labor movement. Um, the idea was that the class could be, you know, a training on the things that so many people in labor wish they got when they first got involved in labor, which is what do all these acronyms mean? What is the AFL-CIO? What is the structure of the labor movement? And then just like some real talk about, 
like what it looks like to be a young worker in spaces that sometimes are alienating and how can we make labor more supportive and welcoming and accessible to other young workers because we know that this movement will always be sustained by these following generations and especially right now it is young people that are kind of breathing new life into American labor. Um, so I'm excited for that class and I'm excited for um, kind of the broader program of Young Workers Unite, which we hope will um, we'll get some folks that take this class who would be down to help organize similar trainings uh, at their regions, you know, whatever region they're coming from um, around Washington state possibly doing it through the central labor councils and seeing if uh, this kind of programming can live uh, beyond this four class series um, and seeing if people can kind of take these lessons back to their areas and um, engage workers in their areas around more specific issues to those areas and, and, and make, make an infrastructure for young workers to kind of meet each other and build community and um, and change the labor movement, right? So yeah, that's really exciting for me. I feel uh, honored to play that role in, in this time uh, in, in local labor organizing. Awesome, I hope that all your wishes for um, the Young Workers Training and other trainings come true. Thank you, James, for talking with us today. We really appreciated all of your insights. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building Bridges. We hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation with James and hearing about their trainings. If you're interested in staying up to date with the Harry Bridges Center, Follow us on Instagram at UW Harry Bridges or email hbcls at uw.edu with any questions.